Ahoy, mateys! Welcome to the GameBuoy.org Anime Fan Podcast, your twice-monthly port of call for anime recommendations, news bits, and discussion that maybe aren't on your radar, but most definitely should be. I'm your host, Captain Spike, and with me, as always, is First Mate Slidekick. Wait, did you say GameBuoy.org? Wait, did I? I think you did. AnimeBuoy.org. I guess it's understandable, because it's been a while. It's been a while! Oh yeah, I guess I go ARG here or something? Right? So, um, of of course, you know, today is March 25th, 2018. This is episode 26. We're going to be talking about Kiki's Delivery Service this week. Um, but before we get into our episode, I just want to address a couple of things. Uh, first off, we are back after a long hiatus. Um, as you might be aware, if you listen to any of our other shows, either the ones that I produce with Slagkick or the ones that either one of us are involved without the other, um, you might be aware I had some, let's just call them life difficulties last year, um, came back from a lap in my mental health, I guess we could say, and have been slowly but surely rebooting all of the ongoing projects in my life. And we are finally now back to getting Anime Buoy going again. I'm really excited about this. Uh, you know, I- I've actually, in the time off, I've watched a lot of anime, including some series that, you know, I had previously maybe not given um, proper due due to how popular they are. Um, a good example of that would be Boku no Hero Academia, which is uh, kind of like my my new favorite show now. Um, we're probably going to do an episode on that in the coming weeks. So, you know, this this show is back now. We will be trying to get two episodes out a month. Um, I'm not going to hold us to that, though. If it is only one episode a month, some months, it is what it is. I ain't too worried about it. You shouldn't be either. Um, we're also going to talk a little more about um, shows that maybe are big, but that we're super into. Um, previously, I think we've been kind of artificially limiting ourselves because we've wanted to talk about just shows that like are left of center and maybe a little lesser known. Um, you know, the idea was really to again open eyes to shows that maybe people have missed. But what our last episode, the introduction to anime episode that we did, um, what it really showed me was that you know, no matter how big a show is, there is still an audience out there looking for that content that hasn't found it. And so we're kind of doing a disservice to assume we know what everyone <laughs> has seen and has heard of and is tired of. So we're not going to do that anymore. And what better a way to really kick this occasion off than by talking about our first piece by Hayao Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli, which obviously is, I think, one of the biggest names in Japanese animation. Um, Certainly, Saiki, if you disagree, this would be your time to say so. No, I mean, the Walt Disney comparisons are pretty, I mean, you know, obviously uh, Walt Disney was much, 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 much earlier in uh, the growth of the former yeah, of the animation industry. But, you know, in terms of impact and, you know, universally loved output. Well, and, and even some of the hallmarks of their work. Right, right. But so you think it's an apt comparison. You do think that he's one of the biggest names in in Japanese animation. Okay, well then let's um let's move things forward a little bit. We are not going to do a news update this week. Um, in future episodes, we will resume talking about um sort of what's going on in the news. Um, that having been said, before we talk about Kiki's Delivery Service Sidekick, I would like to ask you about something that's kind of a hot topic in the anime fandom right now, and that is last night the last episode of 
of Dragon Ball Super aired. I think it's likely that we will do an episode on the various iterations of Dragon Ball at some point, so you don't have to dig too deep. But overall, I want to ask you, what did you think of Dragon Ball Super, and what did you think of Dragon Ball Super's ending? Uh, I mean, you know, Dragon Ball Super came from the more recent movies of the past couple of years, and were adapted, you know, for the first couple of arcs, which I both, I thought both those movies were great. Um, but, you know, Dragon Ball Super, for me, as someone who is a big Dragon Ball Z fan, you notice I didn't say Dragon Ball fan. I never really connected too much with the, you know, original Dragon Ball, but Dragon Ball Z, despite its, you know, bad dubbing and, you know, fights that go on for 12 episodes at a time, you know, all the things that we make fun of Dragon Ball Z for, um, in spite of everything, I still consider myself a fan of Dragon Ball Z. It was uh, still, you know, a very formative part of me getting into anime, and so for Dragon Ball Super to have been a thing for the past two, three years at this point, um, really for me is just, I feel lucky that we've had, it's, it's, you know, the modern day and we've we've been enjoying new Dragon Ball anime. I feel the same way with things like, you know, the upcoming Fooly Cooly, which we finally got some uh, trailers for. Yeah, yeah, you know, maybe we should have done a news update this episode. There's been a lot of anime news in the last few weeks. And, you know, Sailor Moon Crystal, I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we grew up with, or, you know, not necessarily grew up with, but, you know, was formative. Came into our own as anime fans. Right, that is, you know, uh, we're seeing a lot of that content um, returning, and, you know, just like, you you never would have thought that, you know, it was ever going to happen, so I just feel really lucky. I thought that Dragon Ball Super was great. I thought it was well animated in most cases, you know, with the occasional episode that maybe was a little bit more loosely animated, because, you know, that's the state of the animation industry in general. Well, and and I will say, um, something notable to me is that I really felt like as the show got on and found its feet that the animation, and especially art style, got a lot better. Right, and uh, something I appreciate about Dragon Ball Super is I think that it's very self-aware of what it is. Dragon Ball Z, a lot of times, took itself very seriously. Um, But I mean, it definitely did have its humorous moments, and of course, Dragon Ball you know, also had a lot of humor as well, but, you know, I think there's a lot of humor in Dragon Ball Super, and very, like, you know, tongue-in-cheek, like I said, and self-aware of, you know, some of the tropes, and kind of poking fun at them, so uh, I just I thought it was a really enjoyable um, series. I thought, you know, even though the Universal Survival arc did kind of drag in some spots, um, the last run-up to the final battle with Jiren was very, um, very hype, and uh, the last episode I was very satisfied with, um, without too many spoilers, um, it's very promising that we are going to have more Dragon Ball in the future, so I, I, I personally don't know if it will be under the super umbrella, but, you know, yeah, that... Goku's adventures with his buddies are not over yet. Yeah, it, it was made very clear, you know, we already know that there's a dragon, a new Dragon Ball movie coming out toward the end of this year, um, it was very obvious from the way that Dragon Ball Super ended, like, the last words of the series are basically, you know, this isn't goodbye forever, it's just farewell for now, so that's something to really look forward to. Dragon Ball is definitely continuing. So, um, 
let's just wrap that up then. So overall, you would give it a thumbs up if I proposed doing an episode on Dragon Ball, including Super, you'd be down? Oh, I mean, that, including Super, does that include GT? I mean, we would have to. If we were going to do a Dragon oh, Ball episode, we would have to. You're going to watch GT. You're going to have to give me some time and some uh, substances to get through that one. I won't make you watch Dragon Ball GT Sober, girl. All right, well, then let's move forward here. Let's talk about Kiki's Delivery Service. And, Saigi, I'm going to ask you to sort of answer my first question here, um, and that is, what is Kiki's Delivery Service? Well, Kiki's Delivery Service is a 1989 film by Studio Ghibli, uh, directed and produced by Hao Miyazaki and written, I believe, based on a 1985 novel, um, Japanese novel, about a young witch who is turning 13 years of age, and as part of, you know, uh, witch tradition, she has to go out and find a city to help um, provide her witching services, whatever that may be. So just kind of coming into her own as a young lady and a witch. Excellent. Well, and that was very well done. I was not even reading off of a, a script or anything. Well, fantastic. I'm a, a little bit surprised, pleasantly. Um. Well, then let me let me delve a little deeper then. So, okay, it's kind of a little coming of agey, um, has like some slice of life fantasy drama elements. How would you describe its tone? And especially I'd like to hear um, how it, you would describe its tone compared to some of the maybe more famous works of Studio Ghibli and Hayao Miyazaki's Right. Work. Well, I mean, you know, it's definitely very whimsical, which is something I associate with a lot of the Ghibli works. I mean, with the exception of um, some of the more serious content like Grave of the Fireflies, which, you know, is just very, a very challenging film to get through. I mean, important film, but very challenging to get through. And then Absolutely. Uh, Princess Mononoke, which, you know, is a lot more mature than uh, a lot of the other content. Not to say that, um, you know, I, I think I always describe most Ghibli movies as family movies, not children's movies, because, you know, um, I mean, I think they're really appropriate for all ages. Um, the one exception I'll make is, like, Ponyo, I thought was really a little more suited for children, and that might have been why Ponyo never really um, resonated with me as much. But, you know, it's well, definitely... And, and I want to I go back, because I will say I completely agree with what you just said, but for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the delineation between the two, I'd like you to explain a little bit about how would you describe the difference between a children's movie and a family movie? Um, well, you know, like, a family movie definitely has, would have for me more themes of, you know, a little bit more mature themes, and, uh, not necessarily, like, I don't know, like, for, for Ponyo, like, it just felt like a lot of, um, there wasn't as much, maybe, depth, I don't know, and maybe I'm being too, too tough on Ponyo, but, uh, ham! I mean, for example, you know, My Neighbor Totoro, um, which is, you know, perhaps the most famous Ghibli film, um, it can be pretty intense with the feels, you know, and, um, so there's, like, you know, and we, we see that a lot, you know, in anime that, you know, maybe kids anime or, you know, even, like, Sentai shows and stuff that, you know, what we consider, you know, appropriate for kids to watch in terms of not even just, like, violence, but also just, you know, in terms of, like, emotional maturity and, you know, its themes. Like, um, and you've had, we've had conversations about this outside of the show that, you know, anime and, you know, Japanese children in general are, you know, more used to seeing these sorts of themes. Like, you know, um, we talked about there was a Pokemon episode where a Pokemon died, and, you know, that was a big deal for, you know, thinking of a children's cartoon, so to speak, but, you know, maybe not so much in anime, so. Well, and I think that that's the, the perfect example because it kind of clearly 
I think at least illustrates sort of the difference between what we would view, especially as, you know, um, American viewers, the difference between children's material and family material. Um, I would like to ask you also, though, um, how did you feel about sort of the slice of life aspect of this film? Because that, for me, is one of the things that stands out from some of the other big landmark um, Ghibli Miyazaki pieces. Although I do want to note, there are some Studio Ghibli Miyazaki pieces that do also have these slice of life yeah, like elements. whispers of the heart like well, exactly so you know what i what i really like about kiki's delivery service is that it's her being a witch is just kind of accepted it's not like oh you're a witch and you know like oh we're gonna pe- persecute her like it's just kind of Goes accepted. to hades it's just accepted that witches are a part of this culture and it's more about her trying to you know find her um you know kind of get her footing on her own and you know uh navigate things without the help of her family and, you know, um, kind of figure out how to, you know, establish friendships and, you know, support herself. And so I, I really, you know, and especially compared to, you know, when I saw this originally and just thought, oh, it's cute, which anime, you know, I really appreciate it, you know, now for, you know, the fact that it doesn't, you know, rely so much on all of the witchy tropes. Yeah, she flies a broom and has a black cat, but I mean, otherwise it's just, you know, very much like, you know. No hook nose with a ward on it or right it's a little no boiling newts um, a little witch in the big city is like, you know, <laughs> and, and, like, and to kind of go back to what you were saying about, uh, other Ghibli films, like, you know, uh, probably, probably my favorite would have to be Spirited Away, but Spirited Away also is another one that for me, like emotionally is a very intense movie. It's not, you know, it's not like, uh, R rated intense, but you know, that's, you know, there, it's a kind of takes a lot out of you emotionally. I don't feel that way with Kiki's Delivery Service. I would put it more on, you know, the level of some something like Whisper of the Heart or even something newer like uh, Arietti or, you know, in House Moving Castle Where's even. Where's my lady? Where's my lady? That was Amy Poehler. Uh, but, um, you know, like even House Moving Castle I don't think had like quite as much all the feels, you know, so. Uh, yeah. But again, and also, like I, tying back to what you were just saying, that, you know, I would definitely say this is a fantasy film, but I would say it's more slice of life than fantasy. I mean. Well, oh, and I agree. And that's why in my the, notes, here slice of life is first if you took away the fact that she was on a broom and her delivery service was done via like a little a motor scooter or something and she was still had to deal with all of that and you know i, I mean it's, it's i think that you wouldn't have lost the core of the movie i don't think her being a witch um you think you could have still had just as much of a touching film if it had been a little girl who was a bmx racing prodigy then and that was how she did her I, delivery I like service a Vespa, not like a motocross bike you know it's very like european swedish based so you know, she could have she could have ridden a little vespa or something but well, uh, that actually that brings me to uh, something else i wanted to talk about that i love about this movie and actually hadn't intended on bringing up so i apologize but um something that i really am delightfully surprised by every time i watch this movie is sort of the european almost like parisian like design of the the city that kiki lives in 
Um, do you have any thoughts on that, particularly the the music, which is just like to me, it makes me want to like sit in a cafe, so eat a croissant, and music, like smoke like, a oh, cigarette. Wait, this isn't the Ratatouille soundtrack. Oh. We clearly, <laughs> clearly, like that and the soundtrack from Up, like clearly are like well, I mean Pixar, those guys at Pixar love Ghibli. So I mean, it's no surprise, I mean literally like, the Ghibli it. DVDs that Disney was releasing had intro videos by John Lasseter. So yeah, we don't talk about him anymore though. Um, yeah, no, I love that it's, like, a very European sort of vibe, and, you know, I, I think that's something that uh, Ghibli does really well. You know, Howl's Moving Castle had a very similar sort of setting in that regard, um, and, yeah, it's just, it's, it's very, um, it kind of, you know, makes it more, a little more timeless, you know? It's not like, oh, there's spirits coming from Tokyo Tower, oh, no, senpai, you know, like, not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I think it just kind of, like, you know, is makes it a lot more universal, and, I mean... You know, you even look at uh, Ghibli's style or Miyazaki's style, you know, the way that um, their characters typically look. And, you know, it's, uh, I mean, you know the Ghibli style when you see it. So, uh, you know, it's not necessarily like, you know, the um, TV anime sort of look that, you know, you expect when you say, oh, an anime character. So, like, really, with uh, with Ghibli, it's kind of its own realm for, for me. Excellent, excellent. Well, then, um, one thing that you had brought up when you were discussing the comparison between this piece and other pieces by the creative folks is that um you know this this film had uh, kind of complex and mature themes i'd like to ask you that question that you love so much what would you describe as the major themes of this piece well, um, oh, this is my seventh grade, uh, seventh grade essay time, right? Okay, but in this case, so many people have written essays on like themes and analysis of this picture. No, I know. Um, well, you know, like I said, you know, it definitely is about coming of age. You know, um, I mean, like if if you had told me that this was um, based on a Swedish um, story for young adults or something like children and young adults, I wouldn't have been surprised. You know, like a uh, Howl's Moving Castle was based on a uh, book that was not Japanese. I can't remember which uh, country of origin it was. Yeah, Ghibli, Ghibli, they also did the Earthsea movie. Right, although that one was kind of um, Ursula Le Guin. Oh, you know, interesting production fact. Ursula Le Guin, uh, who I now believe is the late Ursula Le Guin, if I'm not Un- Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, you know, uh, very. she was very, you know, celebrated in the fantasy sci-fi uh, author community. Um, yeah, and she was radical as hell. Like, she was just a real smart smart woman and mm-hmm. we are um, lesser for her loss yeah. she was not super thrilled at the adaptation of Earthsea that uh ghibli did which i haven't actually still have yet to see um but apparently for a good part of the production the author of the original kiki's delivery service was not super happy with the changes because the original novel uh for children was more about just little episodes of kiki helping people out and there weren't any like those little really... slices of life right and there wasn't really any huge huge dramatic arcs happening like uh spoilers kiki thinks that she's lost her power but really it was just her confidence in herself um and so they basically uh miyazaki and some of the crew went to visit her house i believe and finally yeah like, well and then they invited her to the ghibli studio right and it was after her visit to the studio that that she actually had agreed to let the project continue after seeing their passion and what what they were trying to say with the film right it's just interesting to uh to think that's a very 
for me, Mary Poppins sort of uh, story. If you're familiar with, uh, I believe E.L. Travers was her name. Uh, you know the, and she was not thrilled with uh, Disney's take on Mary Poppins, and like was basically like crying at the premiere because it was like ruined her work. So thankfully that wasn't the case for at the end for Kiki's Delivery Service. But yeah, although it is notable that um, originally this film was actually just meant to be like a, a like original TV animation. It wasn't even going to be like a theatrical movie initially. Oh, see, I never knew that about this. Yeah, yeah, it was originally just going to be like an hour-long special, and it ended up becoming like, you know, an hour, 102-minute-long feature film after Miyazaki basically finished the storyboards and scripting and realized that, you know, he had this vision for this entire feature film. And so I think from a production perspective, I think that's actually a really interesting tidbit. Um Although I do want to note that some of the themes that to me are really exciting about Kiki's Delivery Service that maybe we didn't talk about are very specifically um, the way that the film sort of reflects on the importance of like self-love and like trusting yourself. Um, I think that there's like a real strong um, focus in this film on specifically this idea that, you know, we all have something to contribute. We all have something to bring to the table. And like if we're just looking at other people and what they bring to the table, it becomes very easy to like downplay our own skills and our own utilities and our own contributions and that's actually something that i think is really not talked about enough about this film is the fact that you know for the the vast majority of the film uh, kiki doesn't actually face any kind of um hardship other than sort of what is brought on by herself uh, it's just all for her about overcoming her own fears and, and really building her own self and her own confidence, which I think is really a fantastic lesson for, for children of all ages, as they say. Yeah. Um, do you have any anything else you'd like to say about themes or analysis that, that are particularly meaningful to you in this film? No, um, just that, you know, there is a lot more depth that, you know, especially if you're someone whose first experience with it was the Disney dub back in the late 90s. Um, and you were a little younger at that time. You know, it's definitely worth revisiting. You know, it's a, it's just, it's a, it's a joy. Absolutely. And you know, that is something that I would like to to note. You know, um, there actually are some pretty big differences. I mean, to me, they're big differences because they're very meaningful. Um, but there are some differences between the originally localized version of this film and the version that's released today. Um, even in the dub. And you know, we spot watched the dub when we watched this before recording this episode. Um, we did watch the entire movie in its original Japanese language. Psychic, was this your first time watching it in Japanese? I feel like it might have been. I mean, I do, but I do... Th- there's I no do, shame in that. The thing is, I do remember, I mean, maybe I just had, like, listened to the music elsewhere, like, on, you know, soundtracks or whatever, but I mean, I definitely do remember, like, some of, like, you know, the vocal themes. Not not the, um, not the Sydney Forest vocal themes from the dub, but, like, you know, the actual... Oh, you you mean where they just left a tape out in the forest and came back and there were all these hot spooky recordings that were like, F you. <laughs> no, no. Sydney Forrest was actually a composer, um, Did is known for some of the work on like this dub in particular. Uh, I, we're just making a joke about someone's name. It's kind of gross of us. Sorry. Well, I mean, but this was really before Disney was pumping out the pop stars. If this had been five years later, they would have had Hillary Duff do. Oh, ab- absolutely. Although, yeah, so it is cool, you know, that um, the dub did have a lot of, like, well-known Hollywood actors. Kirsten Dunst. Um, whoa, Joey Lawrence. Oh, no, Matthew Lawrence. Sorry. <laughs> 
uh, Phil Hartman, Tress McNeil, Ginny Garofalo, Brad Garrett, uh, Debbie Reynolds. <laughs> so, you know, it definitely a lot of, I think, really oh, celebrated the, actors. Did Brad Garrett do the hunky yet kind of dumb husband of the baker? I think so. Oh, hey, hey, Raven. I'm Brad Garrett. So, basically, in the original dub that Disney did back in, was that 98? 97, 98, yeah, somewhere around there. Excellent. So, um, basically, Disney made some changes that uh, Disney kind of described as pragmatic. Um, These were approved by Studio Ghibli and specifically by Miyazaki. Um, Largely the dub, this was like um, additions or embellishments to the original musical score of the film, adding like some new sound effects over sequences that were silent in the original dialogue, um, adding in two pop songs or pop-ish songs by Sydney. Forest, as we noted, um, but probably the most significant change is the character of Gigi. Uh, this is, of course, the black cat that is owned by Kiki. Um, in the English language dub, he was actually voiced by Phil Hartman. Um, the film was, as I understand, recorded before his untimely passing, but released after. Um, there are a number of lines where Phil Hartman had like done like ad libs and made like sarcastic or cynical comments, um, where Gigi literally just didn't have any any commentary at all in the original um and it, it sort of acted like <laughs> you know how um, a lot of movies like art films end up getting wide release after you know the major motion picture studios add like a uh, narration track something like what happened to blade runner when it released theatrically um it kind of plays like that you know sort of that distrust of american audiences dealing with silent sequences um, the thing is I-, I will say i actually thought that phil hartman's performance as Gigi was really well done for what it is um but it actually causes kind of a major plot difference because in the original japanese script um when kiki loses her powers um when she regains them she does not regain her ability to communicate with gigi but in the american dub um and this is true of both versions of the dub and i'll get to that in a moment um it's kind of implied that gigi can still talk to kiki um in the in the um basically in the 1998 release like it's very specifically confirmed like very directly Gigi speaks to Kiki at the end um, along with all of the additional comments that he makes throughout the whole movie um, in 2010 though um, there was a new release on DVD and I believe the Blu-ray is based on that release um, and they removed a lot of the ad-libbed lines and a lot of the musical embellishments they reverted to the original soundtrack which both are great um, but there is still a spoken line by Gigi toward the end, although not as many spoken lines by Gigi at the end, that still implies that maybe Kiki can hear him talk, but also maybe not to keep with that sort of original interpretation of the film that Gigi is sort of meant to be sort of an immature aspect of Kiki's life and that she has now grown past needing that kind of thing, almost like an imaginary friend made real or something. Um, So another very interesting thing about the release of this film, though, is that there was also a dub that had been made by Carl Maycheck's production studio, Streamline Pictures. Now, are those, is that the company that also did the Totoro dub back in the day? Uh, yes. Yeah, they're actually really well known for, for doing a lot of those early dubs. Um, they did some, you know, Lupin. They did the uh, original Vampire Hunter D dub, uh, the old Fist of the North Star dub, a lot of that older stuff. Um, they're the ones, they were also involved in the production of, uh, what was it, 
Laputa that became Warriors of the Sky or something? Um, you mean Nausicaa? Nausicaa, yeah. <laughs> My bad. But they were also involved in, in whatever that was, yes. Warriors of the Wind. That's it. Warriors of the Wind. Sulker loves that. I don't know that love is the right word for it. But basically, Maychek's studio, uh, Streamlight, you know, they basically made this dub specifically for Japan Airlines to show during international flights. Um, that dub, which I have never seen, is apparently completely different, um, which I'm kind of interested in uh, hearing. I-, I might actually look to find a download of it. Um, that dub had previously only been available in the Japanese Studio Ghibli Laserdisc box set. Um, a- anyway, anyway, that's kind of all of the talk of the- about the dub that I'd like to have. Um, Slaggy, at this point, I'd like to ask you specifically what do and don't you like about this film? Um, Tombo is kind of a bit of a doofus, but, you know. And, and Tombo is Kiki's love interest? I don't even know, like, necessarily love interest. There's a little bit of, you know, maybe puppy love there, but I wouldn't even say that that's, like, a huge part of it, you know, compared to, like, Whisper of the Heart, which is about, you know, which is where it's much more, you know, about, you know, oh, I don't like you, but I do like you, you know. Uh, but her her boy, her friend who is a boy, you know, uh, that there's, you know, a little bit of a uh, will they or won't they to it. Um, yeah, he's kind of a dweeby, but, I mean, that's really just nitpicking there. Um, I mean, I really don't think there's anything weak about this movie. Uh, you know, I mean, you have to appreciate it for what it is. It, it maybe is not the, you know, the most feelsy Ghibli movie, but it's, you know, it's sweet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything you didn't like? I mean, I guess beyond Tombow. Not really. Um, I mean, I didn't like, I didn't like that you had lent out your Blu-ray, so we had to watch a DVD on your 4K TV. All right, well then, moving forward... Um, you know, we've already talked about Hayao Miyazaki. We've talked about a little bit about how it's based on the book. We've talked about, have we talked about the music by, uh, Joe Hisashi? A little bit, you know, in terms of like some of the themes being very Parisian and, you know, Joe Hisashi, uh, legendary. I mean, so much of what makes the Ghibli films special isn't just like, you know, the art and the story, but is, uh, it's, you know, Hisashi Sam's, uh, scores that really, you know, elevate them. Absolutely. Like, you know, in the way that a good score should, you know, to the point where, you know, sometimes when we're talking about the anime music, we're like, oh, there was music, it was good. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, you know, uh, typically a lot of uh, Hisashi-san's work typically ends up really kind of becoming earworms. I know that I had um, like sort of what I would describe as like the Parisian theme from Kiki's Delivery Service. I've had that stuck in my head for the last like two hours. Is that also because um, that was the DVD loop and we just left it on because it was so pleasant? I mean, yeah, that's probably a part of it as well. Yeah, but, you know, I also, um, what, is, what is also, you know, interesting is that, um, you know, like you said, he uses a lot of like Parisian elements and stuff and European elements in the score so I mean it's definitely something different than you know you would get with someone like Yoko Kano who uh, definitely is more of like a uh, goes to more towards like the pop music or even like you know jazz or other genre uh, when you're you know looking at a uh, score for anime um, to the point where I mean really uh, he's actually he's on uh, I mean I don't know if like saying like that he would be like a John Williams is necessarily the right comparison but you know just in terms of kind of like what his body of work in 
Mahdi's. Yeah, well, and that's really interesting. It, you know, it doesn't you really sound the... like anime music, you know? <laughs> well, you know, and you had brought up the Yoko Kano comparison. I was going to compare his work to uh, Susumu Hirasawa's music. Um, Hirasawa-san is probably most known for his work scoring um, the various Satoshi Kon films. And, you know, um, very similar to Hirasawa-san, Hisaishi-san is kind of known to explore and incorporate a lot of different genres into his work, um, particularly including uh, like experimental electronic music and European classical music. Um, so so I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but um, apparently there is a, in connection with Fanimecon this year, there is a series of Joe Hisaishi symphonic concerts in San Jose this year. That is incredibly interesting, something that all of our listeners should look into on their own. We're not going to talk about it beyond that, um, but you and I, Slidekick, we'll, we'll talk about that after we finish recording. Uh, yeah, no, but um, Hisaishi-san is actually well-known for doing scores uh, not just for um, anime, although typically it is prime. he does primarily work for anime. He does also do um, music for some very well-known and well-loved live-action Japanese films, so that might put him in that John Williams box that Slidekick had mentioned. Um, in particular, I think Brother was a big release that he had scored. I never knew that his given name is actually Mamoru Fujisawa-san. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, it's actually kind of funny because his um, alias initially was like Quincy Jones, basically, and then took it and like retranscribed it like back and forth to Japanese and English repeatedly until he ended up on Joe Hisaishi. Interesting, indeed. So, all right, well, all of that having been Hisaishi said, <laughs> right. Um, all of that having been said, let's see. Where can you watch this? And that's a little tricky. I know that it is currently imprint on DVD and Blu-ray. I believe that it's up for digital purchase on um, iTunes, Amazon, etc. But I don't believe it's free streaming anywhere. Do you do you have any insight on Not that? Not that I'm kick? aware of. I mean, I know that typically the Ghibli stuff is like G Kids distributes it now, like which is some. Uh, I don't I don't think it's necessarily affiliated with Ghibli, like owned by them or anything. But I believe that's uh, you know you do, but you do. So what I will say is you do every other year or so at least you know around here where we are blessed to have a lot of you know anime available in the cinema you do see like the summer of Ghibli and you'll you know so like this weekend you'll have uh, Kiki's Delivery Service I believe they just had uh, Spirited Away or My Neighbor Totoro or something at the Castro Theater recently or something I want to say yeah yeah and they actually do those pretty much every year like these films run in the theater fairly frequently now um, they did Mary and the Witch's Flower in here in North America just a month or two ago which was cool um, yeah, I did see some people on social media talking about, I think it was Spirited Away this just this past week. Um, so yeah, it, this this one, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, does still pop up on that list of films getting you know a part in these film festivals that G-Kids does. Um, so definitely something to, to look into if you're interested in seeing this film in the theater. All of the Ghibli films, in my opinion, are worth seeing in the theater. Um, they are all beautiful and play really, really well on the big screen, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. Well, with all that having been said, do you have anything else to add? I believe not. All right. Well, then let's start winding down by talking about what's up um, this week. Well, <laughs> this week. Since the last time we recorded, I have watched all of Boku no Hero Academia, um, finished Dragon Ball Super, have rewatched uh, the original Full Metal Alchemist and 
anime. Oh, wow. Um, well, I mean, I'm still in, in the middle of that, but I'm toward the end. So by the time we record our next episode, it will be done. Something, something Nazis. <laughs> right. Um, I've also, like, done some, like, spot rewatching of, like, the uh, Fist of the North Star TV series. I got that on DVD, and so I've been checking it out. Finally got around to watching Space Dandy. That was a big one. Um, so, yeah, no, just, um, or not Space Dandy. I've watched Space Dandy before. Um, son of a bitch. Finally got around to watch. <sighs> yeah, Son of a Bitch. That's a great one. Outlaw Star. I had never watched all of Outlaw Star before. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I hadn't either. I just I assumed that no, you had. No, I, I have now watched it from beginning to end. Okay. I actually really liked it. I have it on my media server, Sidekick, if you either want to copy or just want to start watching it on these weekends that yeah, you I remember, come over. I, mean, I always thought Gene Starlin was sexo. Right? Well, no, because it used to be on uh, Cartoon Network, yeah. and so I used to like catch like occasional episodes, and I finally was like, you know what? Um, while I was recovering, I was like, I'm going to download a bunch of old shows that I've never seen all of and just watch all of them. And that was one that was pretty high on my list. Um there were some episodes of Gundam Wing I had never seen all of, so I watched all of that. Uh, some of this stuff that's still in print, like, I actually found some DVDs of uh, Gundam Wing for a pretty affordable price. So that was awesome. But it's, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've watched a lot of stuff, and I think you're going to see that reflected over the next year of this program. But anyway, Saigi, what have you been watching in our hiatus? Um, You know, I can't say I've been watching as much. I did get caught up with uh, My Hero Academia, uh, obviously Dragon Ball Super. Super. Um, that's really been it. I, um, you know, um, just various work-related things have caused me to not have as much time for, you know, personal stuff, and I've kind of been focusing more on gaming than anime. Um, but, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, I mean, like, part of that's, like, you know, just kind of, um, you know, my own personal choice, though. Um, so I think it's really more just about finding something to really sink my teeth into. I tried watching the um, first episode of Overlord 2, the, you know, the second series, but uh, it didn't seem bad. It's just I wasn't, it wasn't really what I was looking for at the time, so I kind of didn't keep up with it. So Yeah, you know, there were a couple of returning season, or a couple of returning series from the season that we were out where I was like, I like this, but I just can't bring myself to watch it each week. Um, Cardcaptor Sakura is a great example. The Cardcaptor oh, Sakura yeah. revival. I really enjoyed the first couple episodes. I just haven't been able to make time to watch it. But like, it's not bad or whatever. I just haven't made time to get around to it. Yeah, that's my thing. And like, you know, I don't watch a lot of stuff. I mean, unless I'm really out here and we're like, you know, usually we've been watching like Super or we'll watch a couple episodes of Pokemon for Stabcast. Um, I don't really watch a lot of TV. I usually just put something on while I'm eating dinner. And, you know, these days with uh, Reading is Fundamental, I'm watching more Drag Race or Drag Race related content, like, you know, the Toots and Boots and all that, just to, you know, kind of stay current and keep a pulse on that, so. Okay, well, it is time to start prioritizing anime again. I believe so. Excellent. All right, well, all of this having been said, uh, do we have any social links? Oh, boy, uh... Spoiler alert, we have one. Oh, good. We have one here from at Soundscape419, and he writes, at AnimeBoy.org, Guys, I would love to hear you guys talk about Ergo Proxy. It's very philosophical and psychological and very trippy. That sounds like something we would like. Yeah, and that I, is right up our wheelhouse. You know, I've, I've heard that mentioned. Um, I'm surprised I haven't really investigated it more. Well, because I'm really into um, like sci-fi and like mystery stuff and like sort of noir elements i've heard a lot about it um 
but it kind of came out, if I recall, sort of in that weird period where it was done by Pioneer slash Genon right before Genon became a thing of the past. So I remember, so I remember stores carrying it and like having it in stock for a minute and then not anymore. So uh, I just haven't gotten around to it, but I will start looking for like where I could stream it and uh, take a look at it. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you for the recommendation. Thank you for the recommendation. We are always happy to hear your recommendations um, and various solicitations. Slykick, would you like to tell people where and how they can do that? Yes, you can tweet us at at animebuoy.org with the dot org spelled out D-O-T-O-R-G. At animebuoy.org with the dot org spelled out D-O-T-O-R-G. You can visit on, visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash animebuoy. Facebook.com slash animebuoy. Although, I, I, I mean, let's be real, Facebook is not as ideal for interacting. Uh, you know, like they don't always show you up in your aren't gonna see our <laughs> You're not going to see our posts. We aren't going to see your comments unless one of us is paying and it ain't going to be us. Um, but we do love your feedback and your subscriptions, ratings, and reviews on platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. You can email us at mailbuoy at animebuoy.org. Mailbuoy at animebuoy.org. And our home base is animebuoy.org, where we have all our episodes available. Animebuoy.org. You can listen to us. Check it out. I guess it's time to shout it out. It sure is. So you can also listen to us talk about video games, particularly those of the left of center... Left of center variety over at the GameBuoy.org video game podcast. GameBuoy.org video game podcast. If you like what we talk about on this show, you might also like about what I talk about along with my co-host Shane Lenko over on the Ranger Pridecast, where we talk about the current season of Power Rangers, not so much, and the current season of the Japanese Super Sentai show upon which it's based. Uh, definitely something that you'll want to check out if you're interested in Japanese pop culture. Slidekick, what about you? What would you shout out to? I'd like to shout out to Reading is Fundamental, the podcast where myself, Spike, Delvin from VG Realness, and Rob Roberts from Orange Lounge Radio, just on everything RuPaul's Drag Race Hunty. Uh, we're currently just starting, we are going to be starting out season 10, um, so please look forward to that. And also, I'd like to shout out to Stabcast, the same type of attack bonus podcast, your twice-monthly look at the deeper rules of Pokemon that Spike and I do with Trainer Sulker, where we do talk a lot about the Pokemon anime, so that's why we, you know, don't d- dive into it too much here. Indeed. Sun and Moon is actually really good. Give it a try. Yeah, no, for real. I would never, never, never have guessed, but it turned out to be really, really good. All right. Well, all that having been said, unless we have anything else, it has been lovely chatting with you this lovely Sunday afternoon. I hope you've had half as much fun listening as we've had talking. We'll be back at you in a couple of weeks. But until next time, keep watching. Keep watching. Keep thinking. Keep thinking. And uh, maho no takubin. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you all later. Bye.
All right, that looks a lot better. Speaking to your mic for me. Oh, great. Now I'm the flight attendant, too. <laughs> 